Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, we're going to go in three, two, one. Lions Lounge Lockdown, episode 17. I found him. Finally, I found him. Malcolm Allen. Mally, thanks for joining us. Uh, listen, pleasure's all mine, believe me. But let me tell you first, Dan, I have, I'm trying to be on the missing list. I'm not really. Um, but, you know, I've, I know you found it hard to find me. It wasn't the case of me hiding, believe it or not. Uh, I would have done anything, anything for Millwall now, as I did as a player. So, uh, no problem at all. Brilliant, mate. Joined the club in 1990 to 93. You played 81 games, 24 goals. Um, you joined us at a difficult time. Well, yeah, it was uh, it was my birthday in 1990, the 21st of March, and it was the last day of the transfer market. And uh, I was, you know, I, w- I was looking to leave Norwich, of course, but uh, Millwall was struggling at the time. There was only ten games to go, and they needed to win at least four to stay up. Uh, and they were on a run of about losing twelve games out of fourteen, or something like that. Um, it's, you know, with the team and the squad they had, mm. uh, it was incredible to see that because I think at the start of that season or the season before, they were top of the old first division. Mm. Um, but John Doherty had been sacked and then Bob Pearson had come in charge. Uh, he was the chief scout, I think, at the time. He brought loads of players through at Mill. And I spoke to a friend of mine who played for Wales under 18s, Darren Morgan, uh, uh, who lived and brought up in the Old Kent Road. And I asked him, look, what's Millwall like? Because they've put in a bid of 400,000. Last day of the transfer window. Am I going to move from a team who was third in the first division, Norwich, and come to play for Millwall, who are struggling? And he said, Mal, you'd be a hero down here. And I thought, no, I don't know about hero, but definitely it was worth talking, you know, talking to Millwall. So I spoke to Bob Pearson. He sold me the club. He said, you know, he was, he was an honest man, Bob. And he said, 10 games to go, we need to win four, maybe five. Um, but I want you to be here. So you're going to go straight in. And Mick McCarthy's going to sign the same day. So he's coming back from France. And I thought, what? Big Mick McCarthy, Republic of Ireland. And I thought, OK. So if Mick was signing, definitely I was going to sign. There'd be half a chance. So that's what happened. And I remember playing, uh, we played against Everton at the uh, old, uh, Coldwell Lane at the old den of course and um, he came in the dressing room Bob Pearson that night and he said look we drew on Saturday um, so we, I'm going to name an unchanged side and there was only two substitutes at the time yeah. so he said the two substitutes are the two transfer signings 
Uh, Mick McCarthy is one. To, I'm not putting pressure on you, boys, but Mick McCarthy is one. And he went, yours truly. Uh, sorry, son, I forgot your name. That's what Bob said to me. And you're talking about a dressing room full of Sheringham, Herlocks, Briley, McCleary, Rhino. And you think, oh, no. And they just <laughs> cracked up laughing. So from that day onwards, I was yours truly for a couple of months. Yours truly was on the bench with Mick McCarthy. It was hilarious, honestly. And he paid 400000 Well, Millwall paid 400000 for him. So that was the start. And it was, uh, if it was the start of how we were going to move on, it was, you know, and it was. It was just, it wasn't a pantomime. It wasn't a show. It was serious to some extent. But you know what? I had the time of my life at Millwall. Um, I've got to tell you about the contract negotiations. I said to Bob, look, Bob, you know, I'm on 35 grand a year. At Norwich, you know, it's a lot of money. But I'm looking, if, I, if you want me to move to Millwall and there's, you know, maybe a chance of getting relegated, I want £100,000 a year. And he went, what? <laughs> I want £100,000 a year and I'm on a brand new car. And he went, done. Ah! I went, oh no, I should have asked for more. <laughs> and he said, done. Uh, you know, I'd never, ever been brought up with money. Um, we had five children in our house back in North Wales. Mum and dad, mum cleans, you know, the school. My dad works in the quarry. So £100,000 a year. Ah, that was monster money. So I said, okay, I'm signing. So I signed, you know, for money purposes to start with, not until I fell in love with the place, maybe a month or two down the line, even though we got relegated that season. And I did score, I think, three or four goals. I did. I definitely did score three or four goals in them games to try and keep us up. But uh, it didn't happen and it was sad to see us go down. Yeah, it didn't happen. Um, and we ended up back in the, which would be now for the younger viewers watching, we was in the Premier League, what would be now at the time. We're back in the Championship, although then it was called uh, the, the uh, League Two, um, Division Two, sorry. And a new manager is appointed. Bruce Rioch comes in. Um, what was your um, first impressions of, of Bruce coming into the club? Um, obviously, with any new manager, you want to create the right impression. Mm. Um, the, the club had already put me in a club flat so I could look for a house. Uh, the club flat was in Deptford High Street, um, which was opposite the snooker hall down the bottom of Deptford High Street. About three doors away from the pie mess, which was Andy. Um, and they got to know me by my first name in there, in the end, in the pie mess shop. But after about a month, I realised, you know, what Deptford High Street was all about. Not yeah. knocking it, of course. And I said to the club, look, you've got to move me from here. Um, so they moved me to Bromley, which I was much happier with. Um, but uh, what happened was Alex Ray was signed that summer. Yeah. So Alex moved in with me in Deptford High Street and for the first um, two or three months, it wasn't a month I moved into Bromley. I moved into Bromley about two or three months because Alex was with me for about six weeks in Deptford High Street. Um, but Bruce came in and we trained hard during that summer. We really trained hard. Um, we played Watford, my old club. I'd never played there, Victor's Road. I'd never gone back there to play, play against them um, so, you know, since I left. And we went there, first game of the season. Um, we beat them 2-1. David James made his debut. And David was a 15-year-old kid when I was at Watford. 
and I scored both goals. And Teddy made the first one for me, and then the second one was just a header from, I think it was Paul Stevenson or Jimmy Carter's crossed the ball from the right-hand side, and there was 5,000 mil over there. Um, for the first game of the season, sunny day, and that was a great start. But Bruce, he, I, I can't knock him for his, what he did to me on the training pitch. Like, I, I, I think that what he did also for Teddy Sheridan on the training pitch, because Teddy, uh, Paul Goddard, had been signed from Derby the season before for £800,000, and the fans were totally against Paul. Mm. Um, and they, fortunately for me, you know, I, I worked hard, I, I got my goals, and then Teddy became my partner. And we started that season like a house on fire. We won four out of the first five, I think, and I scored in every game. That's what I was going to ask uh, you. What was it like to play up front with Teddy? Oh, hey, hey. You know, he was the slowest centre forward I've ever seen and ever played with. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about, I've, I've been very, very lucky in my life to play with Ian Rushford Wells, Mark Hughes, Andy Cole, Les Ferdinand, for Newcastle. But Teddy, you know, he used to say one thing to me, and I'll never forget it. I said, Teddy, you are so slow. He said, Mal, you're only as quick as you think. Do you know what? That stuck with me forevermore because he's so right. As long as he... There's, there's a big thing for centre-forwards. Um, you anticipate or you react. And he used to say, defenders react. Something happens, they react. But we anticipate what's going to happen next. So it's only a half or a split second, you know, difference. Mm. But in that time, it's a goal. And that's what happened to Ted. You know, Teddy was such a clever and intelligent per, um, you know, player. Great person as well. Really funny lad. But he, I think Bruce Rioch made him the complete player. No, I can't say that because, you know, he's gone on and had great success with Clough, with Sir Alex and, mm. and as well with Tottenham. And I keep in touch with Teddy. But what I'm saying is that I just think that Bruce put him back in that Millwall first team and that he never looked back. He, he linked up play. He made sure everybody else was involved in the play. He knew he was the target man. He knew he had to bring people into play, but he never forgot one thing. What his job was on the football pitch was to score goals. Yeah. And, you know, he scored, I think, 44 goals that season. And he got his move to uh, Nottingham Forest. Um, so, no, it was great to play with Teddy, of course. And because he's a pal as well and, he, and he's a mate, um, he influenced in little teeny-weeny bits along the way something in my head that I thought, yeah, if I can anticipate instead of react, I will score more goals. And I did. I tried to. But I think it was an instinct with Ted that he did it. Yeah. Um, but he was a leader. Don't forget that. In that dressing room, if we were 1-0 down or something, he'd come in and say, don't go back out there if you don't think we're going to go and win this game. If you don't think, you stay in here. You know, he was a proper leader, Ted. Really? And I think, he, yeah, 100%. Really? More than anybody else in that dressing room. Even more so than people like Mick McCarthy. Mick, Mick was, uh, yes, he was a winner. And, his, you know, that attitude of ruthlessness. But Teddy had more. Teddy had more. Um, and I think that alongside his instinct to score goals made him what he, what he did. And he was desperate. That's the difference these days about youngsters and first-team players. You have to be desperate. You know, to become a professional footballer. Um, and I was. I was desperate. 
I never, you know, did much of school or nothing like that. But I wanted to play football. And the teacher asked, you know, what do you want me when you grow up? Um, I'm going to be a professional footballer. Well, listen, you know, you're one in a million, make it. Don't worry, I'm going to be that one. You know, that's the kind of attitude that Teddy had. I'm going to be the best player that I can possibly be. And he did. He achieved wonders in the end. And still, he, you know, didn't get begetted about it. Still kept his feet on the floor. Still never forgot where he came from. And still loves Millwall as well, which is great. That's good to hear, mate. Maybe, maybe we could get him on one day. Who knows? Um, I'll tell him. Yeah. I'll tell him. He's, he's got to come on. Because I could give him some stick as well, remember. I'm not going to do that. He signed some good players, Bruce Rioch. As obviously you, uh, Mick McCarthy, Colin Cooper, a young John Goodman came through. Alex Ray, obviously a, a massive player for the club in years to come, and Paul Kerr. But you said you signed on the same day as Mick. Did you strike up an instant partnership and friendship with Mick? Uh, Mick was like a dad. Mick, like, was a second dad to me. Honestly, he was. Um, he had so much experience. We knew that, but his presence, just his presence around the place. Uh, just inspired everybody else. He, he picked up everybody else. He, he didn't, you know, know uh, how Millwall maybe worked at the time, but Mick had one thing that Millwall would love, and that is that passion, that desire, that hundred percent. You know, he maybe he was limited in his ability-wise, but you cannot question his commitment and the way he went out to play and got the best out of the team around him. Mm. You know, one thing about Mick. If he weren't having a good, good, good game, he made sure that everybody else was. So, and he then, you know, we knew he was going to become a manager. But at the time, he looked after us. I remember me and Alex, we were, you know, we were out quite a lot at that time, you know, living in Deptford High Street. I think I, I had a season ticket down the Crown and Anchor, um, you know, uh, with Alex at the time. <laughs> and then we went straight from the Crown and Anchor to the Gym Palace down up the old, it was it was frightening, and Darren Morgan had told me everywhere where to go because he was brought up behind Thomas Beckett there, you know, in Old Ken Road. So, um, now Mick looked after us because he knew on a Thursday night that maybe me and Alex would only go for an Indian, but he'd ring, he'd make sure he wouldn't ring us because there's no mobiles. He'd tell us at training, I'm picking you up six thirty tonight. So we go to I think it was is it Beckingham? He lived at that time, and he said that. Uh, yeah, my missus has made pasta. We're having pasta tonight. So we had to stay in Mick's house. We couldn't have a pint. So about 10 o'clock at night, and he would give us pasta. Every Thursday, we'd be around Mick's, preparing for the game on Saturday. That's how professional Mick was, looking after his teammates, knowing that me and Alex maybe would have a curry, a vindaloo or something, and, you know, a, a Ruby, Ruby Murray down Greenwich, and then we come back to Deptford High Street, and then, you know, we wouldn't be prepare, preparing like Mick did. So... No, Mick was brilliant, and he still is. He's a gentleman of a man. You said that you joined the club originally for monetary reasons, but you fell in love very quickly with, with the complete, complete outfit. What, what did that for you? Um, it was the, the place, the people, um, how they perceive people more than anything else. You know, it's okay being a professional footballer, but um, you, you have to understand very, very... very I did, at a very young age, I, I was lucky that uh, Graham Taylor of Watford put it, you know, the people that pay to come and watch you, they deserve to, for you to give your best. And I always did that anyway from younger than that, before I joined Watford at 16. I couldn't speak, I couldn't speak English by then. You know, I, I, no, I couldn't speak English, not a word. 
I only spoke Welsh, and I but speak but Welsh what, every what day now. That, that's what age was that you couldn't speak English? Six, 16. Sixteen. Couldn't speak a word. I know. Um, when I joined Watford with Graham Taylor and Elton John, I couldn't speak a word of English. And along the way, I, I learned English in Watford, and then I learned English in Millwall. And English in Millwall is totally, totally different because you know, frog and toad. I never, I never heard of frog and toad. Get down the frog and toad, you egg. You know, uh, Kevin O'Callaghan. You know, he was hilarious, by the way, with his. I couldn't understand the word. But now, I have used them all in Wales now, you know, and people still can't understand me. When I speak English, they don't think I can speak Welsh. But I speak Welsh every day, and that's why I'm stumbling a little bit, because I've got to translate in my head, you know, because I speak Welsh every day, and I've got to think, oh, okay, I'm speaking English today. So, you know, tonight, and it's totally different. It's totally different way of thinking. Um, but I know every rhyming slang there is, because I was taught a lot by... A lot of people down that uh, Oaken Road, Bermondsey, the fort. Have you ever heard of the fort? What a place that was, by the way, for a pint in Bermondsey. Jesus, wet. Uh, you know, the pint and the fight in there, I think. I think me and Alex was under the table one day in there. It was unbelievable. Uh, no, but we had some great times. Honestly, it was a part of growing up. It, it was, you know, you had to grow up. You know, what, you, what Millwall showed me and why I fell in love is, is how... Really deep down in my stomach, right? You needed toughness to survive. You need toughness to survive, and I thrive on that. It doesn't matter if I played shite, but I thrive on working my balls off. And, you know, I've always been like that, every club I've been, and I've been lucky that I've scored a few goals along the way, but no one could question my, you know, how, how hard I wanted to try mm. for Millwall. And then, because my rapport and my relationship with the fans um, was pretty good, um, that helped me as well. That inspired me. And I wanted to do well for myself, but also for them. You said that uh, you wasn't in debt for the last drink for long. You said to the club, you've got to get me out of here. Was that because you could just, it weren't good for your uh, career? Oh, well, could you live there? Uh, not now, no. <laughs> we Maybe was at, back then. <laughs> no, we were, we was at the bottom of the market, but it was an experience. You know, Sometimes in life, um, you, you, I've never experienced nothing like that, you know, so for two months I did. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed every second of it. But looking back, that is, at the time, it wasn't that, that way. Um, you know, no one really knew I was a Millwall player. You know, some people did, some people don't. The Pie Mask guy did, the fair play to him. Um, but no, it was different. It was different, you know, New Cross was different. Uh, then I went and met some other people. Uh, we used to go Jim Palace at the top of town. Then, oh, you know, Alan McCleary and uh, Rhino, they invited me once to the Connoisseur, which was the pub over the road. Where I thought, oh no, we're not, what's this all about? Uh, this is two o'clock in the morning. And we went, we can't go in there. It's, this is only just open. What? Two o'clock in the morning? You know, I'm thinking, no way. And we walked to the door and one of my old friends from Wembley, Noel, a big guy, he goes, oh, Mal, don't come in tonight, sir. I went, okay, I'll go home. So, you know, it was a case of, it was a case of being, being fearless. You know, you were, you were scared of going to some places, but I didn't mind it as much because the people were so superb with me mm. and they looked after me down there. Yeah, um, I just think, and they still do. You were just too close to the party in Deptford. You just wanted to get out and focus on the football a bit more, a bit further out. Uh, um, maybe, maybe, <laughs> may, maybe, you know, 
I, I enjoyed every part of it. Um, I can't say I didn't. You know, people could, I think regrets in life, they hurt. And so I don't look back too much. I know there's no future without the past. And I know you have to learn. Mm. And you have to understand about yourself. And you have to take responsibility. Um, a lot more when you get older. I'm 53 now. But I still remember them times like they were yesterday. Because they were great times. No, not one time I could say there was a bad time. Even when me and Bruce fell out. Um, me and Bruce fell out in a big way. We were playing Oldham away. We were 1-0 up. I scored uh, half-time. And I should have got a hat-trick. Yeah. If Teddy would have laid me off, I'd have scored a lay-in, uh, you know, three yards out. But he chose not to do it. He turned himself and missed. And I had to go him on the pitch. And he said to me, oh, don't ever have a goal me like that in front of the fans. Again. I went, Listen, if, if you don't know that I'm facing you, you should have passed it to me. So I will have a go at you. And, he, and anyway, that was finished. Anyway, when we got in the dressing room, I was already heads up a little bit because of what Teddy said. And Bruce said something about, what's going on with you? I went, what do you mean? Was you out again last night? I went, no. I went, one nil up, I just scored. And at the time, Millwall were, I think there was something like fourth or fifth. And Oldham were second or third. They had a kid called Andy Ritchie who scored all the goals for him inside. Um, and I went, what are you talking about? Anyway, you know, he started coming towards me. I got, I, got, I always took my boots off half time. Got over one boot and just threw it out. And then it was a bit of a melee more than anything else. Nothing really happened. But Terry Erlock and Teddy, and they all jumped and split us up. Um, but he never played me after that. I, he got, I got took off that, um, that, that half time. Yeah. And we won the game. No, we didn't. We drew the game 1-1, I'm sure. And that was it. I never played for Bruce after that. Yeah. He never even said good morning to me, you know? Really? But well, I, do res I do respect him, though, Diane. I do respect him for what he did on the training pitch and how hard he worked. And he wanted to do well for Millwall. And I've met him many times after that, mm. um, which, which everything's fine. But we did fall out in a big way. And, um, you know, there was lots of things happened there, I'm not going to say. Well, just before you fell out, let's just go back a little bit to... Uh, a game when things were going very well for you under Bruce. Possibly, a lot of the fans say, the greatest game ever at the old den. 2-0 down against Sheffield Wednesday at half-time. Come back and win the game 4-2. Um, yeah. I posted that earlier on social media. It, people speak still to this day about that game. What do you remember of that day? Um, I think, did I score the third or the yeah. fourth? Third. Uh, Double nutmeg. Centre-half, nutmeg to Kevin Pressman. Yeah. Was it Kevin Pressman in goal? Well, you you got a better memory than me. But, you know, the... The old den at that time, it was electric, you know. People used to be scared even coming there. But having started the game so badly, we, we were thinking, what's going on here? And we knew we were going to get a bit of a rollicking, which we did. And we came out and won the game. Um, and that was maybe the only time in my career that I was a little bit nervous when I was going to make it 3-2 for us, when the goalkeeper came out and I thought, what the fuck am I going to do now? <laughs> and all of a sudden, right, something inside of me, the instinct, just saw his legs opening and him falling. And I'm going, I'm just going to play it through his leg. And, it, and I just passed it. It only trickled over the line, you know, in the end. But it was just, it was a case of too much time. Some said to forwards don't want that much time. And I, I did, I didn't mind it a lot of times because I used to shape my body to take it one way and play it the other way. But no, this was the time I was face to face I've got to make a decision right now, split second, and fortunately, he went in the goal. Because they would have hammered me if I'd have missed. 
it was a brilliant day, obviously, and, and we played Sheffield Wednesday later on, a couple of months later, and it was a 4 all in the cup. Uh, we scored a lot of goals that season, and we was on track for the playoffs, which we eventually made. But obviously, by the time that came around, so you, you didn't play until, well, until Riot got sacked. No. No, I got injured. I'd done my crucial ligaments for the first time at Millwall. Uh, I played against Charlton in the reserve game uh, because that's where he stuck me for a few months. Uh, and I was playing against a guy, I think it was called Phil Chappell, a big six foot three guy. And he was playing, coming back from injury himself. And I just jumped. And as, as I was in the air, I hadn't missed a day's training. No matter how I turned up for training, but, you know, eight years, eight years to that day, I hadn't missed a day's training. And I went up for a header, jumped early, and he came from the back of me, and I just, my, my studs just caught his hip or his shirt. Or I, I don't know. And he twisted and dislocated in the air. And I thought, oh, that was excruciating pain. I'd never felt that before. So I thought, as I landed, I thought something's going to be seriously wrong. But it was like he'd got back into place. And I thought, oh, it might be okay. So I got back on my feet. Ian Evans was the manager. And he said, are you okay? I said, yeah. Uh, obviously, he was Big Mick. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Ian Evans wasn't manager at the time. Because Big Mick McCarthy wasn't manager. Bruce was manager. Yeah, and then I, I, yeah, I injured in the air, came up, I got up, and then the ball was played again, and I just collapsed. And I knew something seriously wrong. Um, people didn't realise at that time, because crucial ligaments was never mentioned by mm. an injury for a footballer. Because Paul Gascoigne done his a month after. And then everybody knew about crucial ligaments. So I went to um, a, a London Hospital and I was operated by a fellow called Paul Allen. Um, same surname, no relation. And he put a carbon fibre in my knee as a ligament to hold my knee together. And I was out for 10 months. Um, I gradually got stronger, got back, playing. Uh, but because the carbon fibre wasn't my own tissue, it blew up every time I trained. But I came back, um, started playing, and then Bruce asked me to play against Portsmouth away uh, in the league. We lost the game 6-0. I said to him, I wouldn't play. That's the only time I've refused to play in my life. And I said, I'll be on the bench, but I'm not playing. Uh, because of, he hadn't said... What did you say? Well, he hadn't said good morning. Oh, okay. He hadn't said good morning to me. He hadn't said good morning to me for 10 months. Yeah. It was only in the last few weeks because he was under pressure that he was like, thinking of me. You know, uh, and I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, so I said to him privately, I said, no, I'm not going to play, but I'll be on the bench. But, you know, as things went, as the game went, I think we were five nil down after an hour or so. I think that was his last game in yes, charge. Yes. Um, because on the Monday, I played the reserves. And I thought, geez, there's about a thousand people here. And Bruce was in the director's box and the fans wouldn't leave him until he resigned. So uh, let, him, let him go home. So that was a sad ending to Bruce, uh, Bruce Hill's reign. But he did a lot of things for Millwall. He brought some good players. John McGinley, what a player he was. He was another, you know, big drinking pal. Um, I think he was thrown out, the Thomas Beckett once. I didn't even realise he was thrown out. Uh, but, you know, it was, it, it was a crazy time. But we always tried our best on the pitch. But looking back, for sure, I could have done a little bit better if I looked after myself a little bit more as well. But the club, not the club, sorry, Bruce Rio could have done a little bit more for me. But hey, there's no qualms there. There's no animosity. It was just a um, wrong time in my career, maybe, for Bruce to have a goal me and for me to have an injury 
And then for me to come back, when Mick asked me the following week when he was appointed, Mal, can you play? I said, of course. And I played the last 10 games, scored five goals for Mick. And he said, if I did that, we'd go, well, if we won five out of the 10, we'd go to uh, Portugal on a pre-season trip. I think it was Portugal. Yeah, it was. And we did. So Mick kept his word. We won five out of the 10 and off we went. When you're sort of in, like being isolated by the manager and then you're injured, it must have been a difficult time having come in as a, you know, a good, a good signing for amount of money, you know, enjoying the fans are enjoying it. You're playing well. Then you're out of the team. Then you're injured for a long time, especially being like sort of down south on your own. Was it was that a difficult time? You know, the, the rehab and boredom's kicking in. Um, well, it was. It was uh, a case of that. I lived in Watford when I. Um, in the end of the Millwall years, I moved back to Watford uh, when I started my career. Um, but I, I'd already bought a place in Mepham in Kent uh, when I was at Millwall uh, because I was staying there. I, I signed for number three years with Millwall. I was happy to play, you know, underneath Mick. He was happy with me. We'd signed the same day. We were friends as well as a manager. I know he, he called me every word under the sun because I didn't prepare professionally like all the rest no no I don't want to say all the rest of the boys but uh, we had a camaraderie we had a team spirit we had you know we had something special in the dressing room and Mick knew that and Mick knew I was maybe in the middle of that you know playing Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Games, you know, pulling legs, everything. But everyone knew the serious end of it was the games. 
Um, so Mick thought I was a big part of that. And um, it was a shock, you know, that I left Millwall. But it, it was it was just a, when I moved to Mepham, I, I, I felt a little bit out of it, even though the worst part, I think Mepham's never, because cause Kevin O'Callaghan lived out there. And he said to me, look, this is a lovely place. You know, get out of, you know, London, get out and just come and, because yeah, I thought I was going to, you know, live in a flat so looking the Thames for six months when I started from Millwall. Uh, but I was in Deptford High Street. And then I went to Bromley. And then all of a sudden, I'm in Mepham. I bought a flat and Alex Smithy, uh, sorry, Alex Ray has bought a, a flat above me. Um, and then Kevin O'Callaghan lives, lives around the corner. It got from, you know, being a great time to being unbelievable time because we took over Mepham for about six months. It was crazy. Um, so, again, uh, in the later years, I, I knew, uh, look, look, if I'm going to carry on because of my injury, I need to be somewhere where I knew that I was going to get away from, you know, that, that way of thinking, that way of living. And I did. I moved back to Watford. And that's what happened. So, uh, and really, when I came back and played for making them last 10 games and was going to start the following season, uh, everything was looking rosy. Yeah, did it feel like, was you, when we were up thinking, God, please get sacked, please get sacked, because then I'm going to get back in the side sort of thing and start playing for the club again? I never thought that. I've got to say, I never thought, please get sacked. You know, if it, I always believe if, if a person um, does well, he deserves all the credits. If he does bad, then he knows uh, a manager's job is always there, is only there till he gets sacked. And mm. he knew he wasn't doing well. So when he left, yeah, you, you know, for me, I knew that would get in the team. I'm not one for holding grudges. That is the thing. Yeah. But it, 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 for, for, with Bruce and me, at that time, he held the grudge. And instead of speaking to me about it and going through it with me, because he tried to make me a better player. Looking back now, I know exactly what he was trying to do. He could see my ability and he wanted to drag that out by me looking after myself. But I wasn't that person then. So, you know, everyone's different. You know, I've been a coach. Um, I've never been a manager. And I know that every single person in that dressing room is different. And you have to treat them differently. Collectively, yeah, you've got, you know, your targets and you have to focus on this. Focus on, but individually, you have to treat them different. I suppose it's a, it's a really good point because for, say, for example, someone who's a builder or works in a shop, they have to work Monday to Friday then the weekend, they can go and be silly bollocks and be do whatever they like. But for footballers, you're training during the week. You play at weekends. You're gonna be. You can't. You, you know. You can't be captain sensible seven days a week and hide your personality, can you? Personality is your personality. You can't. No, that's right. Um, but I was king silly bollocks. You know that, that's the, that's the thing. Um, and then I used to drag Alex Ray out with me. Um, which, what a player he was. You know, one of the best ones I played with. Yeah. Um, and Millwall there before he moved on. Um, big big pals with Al, Alex, you know, along the way. Um, so I'm just thinking to myself, you know, looking back, I could have done a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but my character at that time, and still is, I love a fun, uh, you know, fun laughter and, and a joke and all that uh, to these days. Uh, I used to be the one, I used to, you know, finish training, everyone used to think, where's Mal? You know, we stayed for lunch in, you know, in Elton where we was training at the time. And I used to nick the cars. And I used to put the cars at the farthest pitch and put the goals around them. You know, so when they came out, the lads used to come out. 
used to be, where's my car? It's the car, it's the, the cars was nicked, but it was me. I used to put them everywhere uh, because we used to have a race. You know, if we didn't go out for a pint in uh, Eltham High Street, I used to, you know, my, my, my club car, of course, you know, in the car park. My car was the only car in the car park. Every other car, I'd nicked all their keys and moved all their cars. So, you know, I was a bit of a prankster at that time, but it added to what we had in that dressing room. Um, so, so, no, um, Roots didn't understand me. Uh, and maybe looking back, maybe he should have, I don't know. He's taught me a lesson to maybe don't judge anyone. Yeah, true, true. And then say so Mick McCarthy gets the job. Was that, you know, you joined as a player on the same day, you got on with Mick. Was it difficult for you as him to then make him becomes manager? You got to sort of be different around each other to an extent, or did, was it not like that? No, no. Uh, I always had total respect for Mick. Um, maybe he wouldn't say it, uh, but I did. Um, from when he was a player to when he was manager. He had to change a little bit because he had to be different in that you know, in that dressing room. He had to make sure that we had certain targets. He understood us as people. And I think before you develop a player or develop a football team, you've got to understand the person. And Mick understood us all because he was one of us, you know, a few weeks before. So he had to make that, you know, step over that line and go, okay, I have to stamp my authority a little bit here, but I have to do it cleverly. And he did. He did. He He knew... Um, what he wanted to do. He knew the players he wanted to get in. He knew how he wanted to play. He was very focused on, you know, I'm positive about how he wants to play, but allowed us to express ourselves within that. Mm. Um, I remember when he phoned me um, when I moved to uh, uh, to Newcastle. He said, look, um, sorry to let you know, Mal, are you sitting down? I've gone, yeah. I was at home in Watford. And he goes, um, uh, we, we've agreed a price with Newcastle for you. Uh, Kevin Keegan's willing to take you, even with your knee injury. Uh, they're only paying the cut price because of that, 300000 Um, Do you want to go and talk to him? I said, well, do you want me to go, Mick? I want to just sign for three years. Um, and he said, well, it's, it's out of my hands. Uh, okay. Uh, and was it Jeff Burnage? Maybe at the time he was around the place. or uh, But they'd agreed. So that means if a club agrees, then maybe they do want to get rid of you. Mm. So... I, within 10 minutes Kevin Keegan rang me and to be truthful Liverpool has always been my team when I grow up and Kevin Keegan before Dalgleish of course was at Liverpool so I knew about him I knew about you know what he was like you know the success he had as a player so I spoke to him and he just sold the club to me really and mm-hmm. said look you're going to be playing in the first game in the Premiership with Andy Cole on Saturday against Spurs um, so we are you willing to come up and speak to us? But you have to sign before 12 o'clock tomorrow. Uh, I've gone, um, 200 okay. And two cars. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know what? I've got to tell you the honest truth. I got £10,000 more than I was earning at Millwall, going to Newcastle, and they just got in the premiership. So it was nothing to do with money. So I said, listen, I've got to ring Mick back. So I rang Mick and I asked him his thoughts. And he said, Mal, what an opportunity. And he was right. What an opportunity. So James's Park, bouncing with Geordie fans. Uh, what, you know, what a club. What a massive club. I played there and scored there for Millwall. I scored there for Watford. Um, I'm the same age as Paul Gascoigne. So I played in the FA Youth Cup final. He was captain in Newcastle. I was captain in Watford. There was 20-odd thousand there that night. So I knew what kind of place I was going to. But 
did they have the same emotion and feeling that I could buy into that I had a Millwall, you know, with the fans, with the club, with, with, with my mates, my teammates, and with the place, because I love my social life. Um, everything was, was in place for me to do better for my next three years at Millwall. I remember the first ever game at, um, at the New Den against Porto. I think uh, Sir Bobby Robson brought his team there. Mm. It was a friendly three days before the away game at Stoke in the Championship, which was the second division um, at the time. No, no, because I was moving to the Premiership, so it would have been Championship straight away. So it was the away game at Stoke City on uh, three days before I moved to Newcastle. And we were playing Porto at home. And it was friendly, and I'll never forget what happened. Two minutes gone, the ball gets played to their best player, the left winger, and Rhino puts him in the stand. And everybody's going, this is a friendly. Bobby Robson had already told Mick, Mick, make sure that no one tackles hard, because you know, it's the start of our big season this week. They don't, they, the season before, they'd won the cup with Bobby Robson. And he wanted to you know, cut a wall around his place. Try and tell Rhino, Keith Stevens, to put cotton wool around anyone, right? Honestly, there was 20 or 1,000, I think, in the new stadium that night. And he put the left winger in the stand with him. It was absolutely frightening, but hilarious. <laughs> you know, Rhino in the dressing room was totally different. He was in the zone. He couldn't hear anything. He just concentrated on kicking whoever moved. It was unbelievable, mate. Oh, it, it was frightening. What a team. McCleary, he used to wind him up a little bit. Then you had Mick McCarthy, you had Steve Wood when he was playing, Ian Dawes. Then you, then you had, you know, okay, Terry had left by then, but in my first year there, Big Tell would be very, very quiet. Riley alongside him, he'd be the one that's running up, up and down. And if Tell's had a night out the night before, then he'd stay in the centre circle and, you know, just tackle hard and give the ball to better players. Then you had Jimmy Carter, Paul Stevenson, uh, Kevin O'Callaghan. Teddy Sheringham, you know, we had, we had an unbelievable squad, a team. And then Chris Armstrong came because he did well against us in a pre-season game at Wrexham. John Goodman came, but I'm sure that the, the guy who brought me into the club, he was the one who brought him, uh, yeah. Bob Pearson. I'm sure that Bob Pearson brought John in, yeah. even, though, um, even though maybe he played more, he obviously he played first team under Bruce, but Bob Pearson brought him in. He saw him playing for Bromley and he brought him in and John was fantastic. Well, he, he did have some pace, by the way. Um, and then Chris Armstrong came and then John McGinley came. So, you know, I've played with some great players in Millwall. I really have. Mm. Um, and had some great times. And I'll never forget, you know, there's much more stories I'm sure that I can tell you about. Um, I won't go down all of them, but if you ask me another question, I might do. <laughs> Well, let's, let's talk about, give, give us some stories on, on the, all those players you mentioned, or some of them, some good stories. Well, the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper, right, Brian Hall. What a block. Honestly, in the end, with Bruce, right, he used to be weighed every day, every day, because he, couldn't, he wouldn't allow him to train if he weren't weighed. He had to be weighed to a certain, you know, and uh, I've been out with Brian on an eye out, right? Uh, we used to go to Colchester, I used to stay in Canby Island with him and I used to go, uh, Ted used to come out with us, Jimmy Carter sometimes because, you know, he used to stay down there with us and all that. And I, I never, ever, ever to this day seen somebody who can eat like Brian, right? I knew he liked sweets, but he, 
he, I think he had the three piece. It was unbelievable. Kebabs. He could eat kebabs till they come out of his ears. And then he'd go in the following day thinking they'd be 11 stone 12. He'd be 12 stone 12, stone over in a week. And all of a sudden, he'd lose a little bit. Then he'd lose. Then he'd put it back on on the, on the Tuesday and Wednesday night. It was, he just couldn't get it back down. But what a goalie. What a goalie he was. He was a great shot stopper. But more than anything else, right, he was a great talk, uh, talker on the pitch behind the defence. He always got people organised. People didn't hear or realise that. But Horney did very, very well. He was a leader. He was a leader out there on the pitch, which was really good. But off the pitch, he was one of us. Just another lunatic. John Gooden, we interviewed yesterday, uh, spoke very highly of you, very highly. Said t- you took him under his wing. Um, he said he'd never had a curry before he met you, Eva. <laughs> he said every 15 minutes, it was pint, pint. John, you're drinking it. John, you're drinking it. He said... He, he honestly he mentioned he spoke about you in great detail. Couldn't speak highly enough of you. So oh, thanks, thanks to John. Off and on off the pitch, talking some of the good and some of the bad. Ah, hey, what a player! What a player! You know, John could make a bad ball a good ball, and maybe at that time with some of the players, you know, the passes used to go astray, but John used to make them good. John made I think half of Teddy's goals of forty-four that season. I think I made the rest, but John, John was a breath of fresh air. No one had seen anything like him um, with pace, pace-wise. But what, straight away, coming from non-league, you always think, oh, he hasn't got the end product. Well, but what John did have, he could cross and he could score. You know, two of the most important end products you can have in football, if you can have somebody who can cross the ball, if you're in a channel that you've run into and you can cross it straight away, then you know that Teddy's going to be on the end of it. Um, and John did that and settled in really, really well and complimented the players around him because he's a real intelligent lad. Um, I know he's doing really well. Is it at St George's Park now with the English FA? Is he still there? He, um, MK Donzi is now the youth development. Is he? Yeah, is he? Academy, okay. Yeah. But he, was well, doing, because he, he was doing sports science before that. Yeah, yeah, but he was doing it at St George's. He was doing it with the youngsters, uh, with the academies, um, you know, the under-16 of England, under-17, under-18. He was doing a lot for them, but fair play. He deserves a crack, maybe a, a football club. Not manager, uh, for me, not maybe a manager, but definitely a great assistant, a great link man between the manager and the players in the dressing room. What a nice bloke. Not a bad bone in his body, you know. So, I, I, John was a great lad to have, and he fitted in. I did actually, um, didn't do him any favours one time. We went to the PFA Awards. And we always met in Covent Garden about pursuit. So, obviously, the PFA awards didn't start uh, until about, I think it was in the Grosvenor, Grosvenor House at the time. Didn't start till after seven. So, we had five hours drinking time in Covent Garden. So, we sat down for a big meal. And so, we played this game called Spoof. So, everybody held three coins, two coins, one coin. Then he added up all the way around. Well, John didn't have a clue. Did he? So, John had to pay 280 quid, I think, for the food that day. You know, on his card, he was devastated. I think at the time he was just breaking through into the first team, so I really put him in the pocket there. Where I thought, oh, that teaches the young lad, you know, what it's going to be like for him and if he is dying. So I apologise, John, on Millwall TV. I apologise, mate, that I did that, and he'll remember it. I know he will. Um, but now, you know, John, he, you know, he sprung onto the big scene and he never phased him. 
you know, some players are a little bit nervous and they play for a couple of, you know, a couple of months or something and they go out the team. No, John didn't do that. John actually, he thrives on the pressure. It wasn't a pressure, it was a challenge. And Teddy will tell you, you know, one of the best players, well, quickest players he's played with, no question about it, has uh, got to be John Goodman because he kick-started uh, that £2 million move that Teddy had from Millwall to Nottingham Forest. Uh, and when, when he came back in his Porsche, uh, a couple of weeks later um, with his brand new car Porsche black Porsche he had coming back to the Millwall training ground at Eltham to say goodbye properly to the boys and he asked some of the boys do you want to go for a ride or something like that yeah no problem so we all jumped in well one of us jumped in then went for a ride and another one and he said to me I'll never forget it he said you know there's only two people in my life that calls me Edward my mum and Brian Clough that's how he when they went to the interview at Nottingham Forest, he sat down opposite and said, right then, Edward, are we going to sign? And that's, and he said to me, I, I wasn't used to it. I, he was nervous, you know, in front of yeah, Brian yeah. Clough. But in that season, I think they won the League Cup, didn't they, when he scored a curl in top corner. So, you know, that was a start maybe, well, no, Millwall was a proper start, background, good, strong one uh, for, for Teddy. And then he, he went on to great success, which is, which is lovely to see, you know, uh, people doing well, like John has. Uh, mm -hmm. John's done very, very well for himself. So, now, now uh, once again, great times. You have to think also about the players underneath. You know, they won the FA Youth Cup with Mark Kennedy, Ben Thatcher, Andy Roberts. All these boys, you know, made good money in the end for Millwall with Tom Wally. Tom Wally, one of the best coaches, he brought me up as a 16-year-old in Watford. Oh, Before really? I met him, we've heard some yeah. on him from Mark he, Beard. Said he used to he used to like make you stick your tongue out and punch you on the chin if you. He, he said he was oh, yeah. really aggressive. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Tom would be. He was as honest as the day is long. He'd tell you how it is. If you don't like it, then you walk away. If you want to roll your sleeves up, then you'll do it for him, and he will stand by you all the way. And that was Tom all over. Tom, he, he beat Man United in that final, and Sir Alex couldn't believe. You know the Millwall team that beat his Manchester United team, um, but it was Tom Wally. He got the best of what he had. Uh, Andy Roberts came in the first team pretty quickly. Mark Kennedy did when he was sixteen, 16 and the Mick, I think. Um, ben Thatcher came after. Um, good, good stories of Ben Thatcher. Um, no, I'd left by then. Uh. But, you know, Andy was in the first team before before Ben. I've met Ben many, many times playing for Wales after that. Um, uh, and I remember his old man knocking uh, one of the supporters out once in a bar in, I think it was in Russia or somewhere. But, you know, that, that I said to myself when he did that, I went, uh, that's what Ben gets it from, you know. Unbelievable. <laughs> Ruthlessness. Um, but Andy, you know, Andy used to come out with, for nights out with us. Andy once, Andy Roberts, Pikey, he actually, ate the back, there's a McDonald's down the Oaken Road. And he ate the Big Macs, all the Big Macs, one Monday afternoon, they didn't have any more for him to eat. You know, it was unbelievable. Uh, he, he came in the dressing room the following day and I just said to the boys, oh, that's the warm-up sorted. Anyway, we'll just run round Pikey. It was unbelievable. He was, he, he was huge. And Bruce hammered him, fined him two weeks' wages, I think. But, no, quality bloke. Uh, they all are. Ben was a lovely man, Mark. Fantastic. Beardo. Well, you're talking about Millwall in his blood. You know, Mark, Mark Beard, he was unbelievable. He would not stop. 
you know, for anybody when Mill was concerned. And his old man, the same. You know, he was a little bit of a scout. He did this, he did that. But Beardy, fuck me. I remember him. He was unbelievable. Uh, and, and them kind of people that had, had Millwall to their, you know, in their hearts, that helped the older ones, how much he meant to them. Mm. Uh, and I think that's what makes Millwall, that the fans understand people who buy into it or don't even buy into it, just feel it. Just feel it. It's special. It's unique. And, it, it, you know, I was just happy to be a part of it. Well, the 1992-93 season was our last season. It ended up being your last season at the club as well. Not only really you knew that at the time. Our last season at the Old Den, and we lost a massive part of the club that day, obviously. But that last, um, last year at the Old Den. No, it was... Yeah. Everybody knew that it was the last year. I think... I can't say it was excuses. I don't think... It, you know, you shouldn't hold anything as excuses because you're, you're on your way to a loser. Um, I played in that last game and we lost to Bristol 3-0. I missed the penalty, to be fair, in yeah. front of 22,000. And I, I, I'll never forget uh, the ref coming to let us know at half-time, look, I'm blowing final whistle on 80 minutes because the fans are just going to come over. Um, and that's what happened. He, he told all of us, he went round the pitch telling all of us, I'm blowing in one minute. And within a minute, and, and I thought it was just going to be a normal, you know, fans invasion. But no. I went to the dressing room afterwards and I thought I was the only one. But there was about four or five of us. I didn't have a stitch of clothing on. No boots. No clothes. No, you know, jock strap. No nothing. Walked in absolutely naked. You know, it was unbelievable. What a day that was. A sad day. Um, because the old den was a, another place where no one liked to come. No one liked to come to old, you know... The old den and Coldblow Lane was much different. There's not many grounds like that then or now. Talk about um, some of the other players, maybe not some of the such outgoing players. For example, Casey Keller, Etienne Revere. Did you play pranks on them? How did they react to you know, the training ground every day and things like um, that? Uh, Casey uh, was a little bit different. Uh, obviously, being American, he didn't take too well to joking about. Uh, Casey, I don't know if everybody knows, I'm sure that someone said to you already, he didn't like coming out for crosses. But more than that, he wore the, you know, I wear spectacles now when I drive. And, um, but he wore the thickest spectacles I've ever seen in my life. And he wore contact lenses during the week. Now, you're talking, to about, you're talking about our goalkeeper. Our goalkeeper should have great eyesight knows and understands, assess the flight. He would never, ever come for a cross in a midweek game, nighttime, never. So we knew if any cross comes in the box, all the shout was, away, away. <laughs> so all the defenders knew. And we used to give him a little bit of stick in the dressing room. He never came for a cross during the week because it was nighttime. He couldn't see the thing. But what a shot stopper he was. You know, in training... I've always loved training because the, the best goalkeepers, the first team goalkeepers, come in goal, and that's when you challenge yourself. Yeah, but put these in the corners, make sure. But Casey, he could read. He could read the shape of your body very, very quickly. He could get across, and then he'd make the save look simple with a strong hand, but he was the best. He was the best at Millwall. You know, Horney was a character. Um, Aidan Davidson, uh, after, you know, he was a character. 
but Casey was a different level and a different level of professionalism as well. It didn't help because he didn't drink, uh, but he did come out with us and he was shocked by the way, you know, the culture was at that time. <laughs> but that was Casey, you know, that was Casey. He didn't isolate himself. He was one of the, one of the team. He had to be a part of the team because that's the way whoever comes in or out, you know, you know, make sure that everybody who comes in was welcomed. Uh, and Casey was one of them. Now, uh, Etienne, he was, he was a little bit different. Uh, he, he couldn't speak English very, very well. Um, but nor could I when I first came to live to or play football in London. But he had an engine. He could run all day long. He could run up and down a pitch all day long. The only problem I had all the time with Etienne was that he didn't have much end product to his game. You know, I always say to my players that I coach now, look, if you're going to go around two players and the crowd on the edge of their seats, please have an end product. Do you know what? You won't believe this. My missus is just giving me another new ball. Thanks, my love. Do you know what? How nice is that? Thanks. Ah. Oh. Well, trying, mate. Do you know what? She must be having one. She wouldn't give me one otherwise, mate. Don't worry about that. Uh, no, no. Uh, Casey, but he was different, you know. He, he, he thought, I honestly thought, right? Not because of his attitude, because he fitted in okay. He thought he was better than us. Right. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing because if he's better than us, then he can pull us with him. You know, it's a challenging thing. But he sulked if he weren't, you know, in the team on a Saturday or something like this. He, you know, had the major effect on the team when he was on song. But for me, he wouldn't have been in my team, see, because he didn't give enough end product. How many times can you remember him passing, passing a ball through when someone scored? Not many. No. He played for, he played for himself, you know, within the team. He, yeah, yeah. he had that energy to make uh, it affect everybody else. And if he went, then it was a trigger point that we all went. But for me, uh, he, he was different. But he didn't show that with his personality in the dressing room at all. It was just a case. So he, for me, he didn't, he didn't maybe get over what he wanted English-wise, language-wise. Um, and also another one who didn't drink. They didn't drink. No, I mean, you haven't got to drink, but I see Blow didn't drink, but apparently was 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 a great crack. Kenny Cunningham. Wow, Kenny. Another one like John Goodman, uh, from the same kind of um book, if you like, you know, not a bad bone in his body, but what a ruthless attitude to wanting to win and wanting to play well and get the best out of himself. He would say himself, maybe not the most um lucky in his attributes as a football player, but boy, was he fit. He, had, he was the fittest at the club. He had an engine that could run all day. And he's one of them players that, if you're a manager, he would be an 8 out of 10 every week. Consistency was Kenny's game. And he played many times for Republic of Ireland. I've seen him on the, on the circuit because I, so I, I commentate on the Wales games. Sometimes, you know, I always do him in Welsh and obviously he, he's there doing the Republic of Ireland games. Um, so I've come across him quite a few times. He hasn't changed the thing. What a nice, nice man. What a gentleman of a bloke. Time and love, you know, that don't cost anything in life. And Kenny had plenty of that. Um, 
and he deserved his career for the work and the effort that he put in. Was there anyone at the club you maybe didn't get on with so well, or was they all, all great characters? Uh, no, I can't say. Maybe they didn't get on with me that well. If I, you know, play pranksters all the time, but no, I, I, I truly believe that I got on with everybody. Um, I think everyone got on with everyone. I can't, I can't say that. You know, any two players disliked each other at Millwall. I've been at other clubs where it's happened, but at Millwall, no. Mm. It was a family atmosphere and that togetherness, together me stronger, you know, and that's the kind of feeling every day, looking forward to going to training. Ian Evans, Mick McCarthy, you know, looking forward to enjoying their sessions on finishing and doing specific things and then coming into a team play and taking the mickey out of each other and, and preparing for the game on the Saturday. Um, team, I, you know, I, I was lucky to play for many good clubs where there was great team spirit. But the newer one, because of maybe we were that attitude of wanting to prove people wrong, if you like, or, pre, or prove people right, you know, that we were good enough. Uh, I think that was the, uh, the maybe elements that I really aspired to was proving that we are good enough. You know, going out there and performing. Uh, not that we owed anything to anyone, but that was that was that was my way of thinking. Mm. And everybody that I played with in that club, uh, Les Briley was a little bit different, a little bit dry, but always there. Lovely lad, um, Ian Dawes, lovely lad. Phil Barber, three points to be under the table. But uh, you know, I want to I want to take this away from the drinking culture at the moment. Uh, but um, you know, we did we did uh, go through that you know, period at that time where if it was now and concentrate a little bit more, but, you know, what's hindsight? You, you can't look at it that way. You are who you are. Mm. Uh, and you just have to be led, maybe, or treated a different way. Last season at the Old Den, Jamie Morley came in and then did well. Yeah. He was playing up front with John Goodman. And then also yeah. you had Ian Bogey playing just in behind. Did you, what was your role in, in the team in that last? Did you play not as play as much? Or was you injured? Or, no. No, I didn't play as much. No, uh, uh, I played a few. I can't remember if I had uh, a few months out with injury, but it would only be my knee. It wouldn't be anything else. Was that uh, a really Jamie, problem your knee like, throughout you? That was the only one. That was my only injury in my life, in my career, which I had to retire with uh, three years after joining Newcastle. Um, they said to me the operation went wrong at Millwall. But, you know, it passed me medical, but Newcastle knew that. Uh, going back to Jamie Morley, um, Jamie was a, 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 he, 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 he was giving you a different option Jamie would you know link up play only with one touch or something and he'd get in the box straight away um, and then in the box he'd always be timing his runs uh, and he did very very well I, I, you know people say to me he was a bit living with a flash in a pan you know I think he was at all two years at the most yeah two years um, yeah I don't know where he went after that but I do know that he's an Where'd agent now and he's he went to Watford because he did have a big connection with Barry Town in South Wales uh, before he became an agent, I think. And I used to go to the, the races, uh, Sandown, Kempton, a lot with his dad and uh, with Jamie himself. So, uh, nice bloke, uh, proper Londoner, bit of an edge to him, liked him, fitted in perfectly. Bit of a, a big time Charlie at the time because he wore all the best gear until I changed boxer shorts with him one time when he had boss ones and I had Marks and Spencers. Uh, 
So I had to go home and he's about suspensions once. So I had boss once going home. I looked the bollocks. Uh, but you know, it, it was, you know, just bringing people back down to earth. Jamie's a good kid and he's done really well for himself with his, with his agency and looking after the players now. Fair play to him. So well of, done for that. What other sort of pranks did you play on people? Can you elaborate? Because they're the stories the fans would love to hear. No, no, no. I, I can't really. There's all kinds of stuff uh, with the socks and things like that, you know. They're just cutting the end of the socks off. So, you know, people, all the lads were walking in their posh suits and all that. And then all of a sudden, after the game, they put the socks on and they pulled the socks right up because I'd cut the end of the socks off. Um, no, we had, we had Woody. Uh, the big centre half when I first went there. Now he's a good looking chap. All the best gear, all the best gear and everything, all the time. So, all the best suits. You know, I think he moved into uh, agency as well. They had some big houses down at Hendersford or somewhere down, uh, Gillsford, down that way. And we went to one of uh, the party around, around his house one time. Anyway, I remember when he used to come to training I used to have always trousers and a shirt you know so he looked the bollocks uh, and one time I thought no way he's getting away with this so I cut his I cut his trousers that's shorts so that was the worst thing I did to him but I did hide, hide his BMW and he had he took ages I put his in Charlton's training ground in Elton so <laughs> so no he was he was funny he was a good lad I come across him every now and again I haven't done for a few years but it's always nice to catch up with these boys because it's like a long lost family. It's, you know, that's how we were. Mm. And, and at the beginning, it was Big Tell that he made sure that we was all like that. We had Wally Downs as a coach. Uh, Wally made sure that we all, you know, mixed together, make sure that we were one team. He had that maybe Wimbledon experience behind him. But um, no, no. And that carried on. Whoever came in was made welcome, but they had to fit in with us. Um, until the philosophy started to change with Mick then, with everything being more professional, then the diets maybe started coming in. So there was no Vindaloo at Greenwich for Alex Ray and me. So, nah, nah, nah. everything changed in the end, but only for the good. So you signed, you signed a three-year deal thinking you're going to you know, continue at Millwall. Yeah, for, no for, for no, no more money. For no more money. No, no. Still your hundred signed. Yeah, still underground, which was, you know, brilliant money. Excuse me, which is still great money today. Yeah. Um, I wanted to stay at Mill. I love Mill. Uh, I love the people there. Uh, they took to me, hopefully. Um, because I remember when I retired, I've gone to watch Watford Millwall games and, you know, met up with some of the fans. I remember when I played for Newcastle, I went to watch Millwall play at Sunderland uh, and got my head kicked in after the game uh, in the what? car park. Because, yeah. Yeah, I did, yeah. Alex Ray played for Sunderland. That's why I went. But, you know, because they saw me there and I was scoring goals for Newcastle at the time, walking through the car park after the game, kicked me head in. But anyway, that's another story. Um, so, no. Um, uh, Millwall, for me, uh, they took to me. I took to them. Uh, and I always have... Uh, I look for two scores. Watford and Millwall. Every Saturday, Watford and Millwall because they were the growing up period of Watford. And then, you know, when I came back from Norwich to Millwall, I had two years at Norwich, great years. Um, and then I had three years at Newcastle, which I was in and out, injury, finished my career. You was, you was then, on fire at Newcastle at the start, wasn't you? 
Yeah, the, um, you know, a few those statistics. I think it was seven goals in eleven games. Yeah. I think it was better better than Andy Coles. Um, but then it comes to knee problem. Yeah, every time I trained, it just blew up, and then they sent me to America. They took the carbon fiber because it wasn't my own tissue. The operation at Millwall, they took that out, but like a dead man's ligament in there. And then in the end, they chose to put the patella tendon through. So every time you go into your knee and have a reconstruction, your knee gets weaker and weaker. So I knew in the end, you know, it wasn't strong enough for me to come back. Um, so, you know, the, the surgeon said to me, look, don't let anyone go in that knee. It's stable at the moment. If you want to go play football with your kids in the garden, uh, which my Ryan was born. My Ryan was born when I was at Millwall. My Ryan used to come to the dressing room at the old co, you know, old den at Coldwell Lane. He used to come down with Teddy's boy Charlie. Charlie and Ryan used to come down to the dressing room in that, in that, you know, in that place. I'll never forget them times when he used to sit there and wait for me for his dad to get changed and uh, and then go back up. So we used to always when we travelled from Watford in them times. Ryan used to sit in the in the car seat in the back. And uh, we used to go past, past West Ham. And in the first few weeks, because Ryan was two and a half, three, and I used to say, eh, eh, West Ham over there, we don't like them, right? We don't like them. So after about three months, we used to go past, and I used to just ignore, you know, down the 813, dagging them there, you know. And Ryan used to, Dad, Dad, we don't like them. We don't like them. <laughs> we don't like them. So he learned very quickly they didn't like West Ham. So, He's still in no. London. Is your son son still in London? He's still in Watford, mate. Yeah, what uh, and my, my two sons. Yeah, Ryan and Sam. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan's Ryan's twenty. Because I've got in touch with you. One, some guy messaged me and said that his son worked with him, and that's how I got in touch. So, I yeah. see you're London based. Obviously, you're, you know you're back up in North Wales now. Yeah, you yeah these I got days? Well, I got divorced fifteen years ago. Uh, moved back uh, about eleven years ago. Um, my partner here now, 10 years, uh, we're not married, but um, we both got children. Um, my children come up for holidays from down south. I speak Welsh every day. I'm back home where I was brought up. I work for BBC and S4C, um, doing all the, the football commentary in Welsh. Uh, we've built a profile and an image to the Welsh Premier League now, which three teams go into Europe every year. Um, and the Welsh international team that speaks for itself with, uh, you know, what we've done since 2016 with the Euro. So I've been very, very lucky in my life. I've, I love every second of it, playing football, coaching football, speaking about football. And you know what? Dan, the most, you know, the most luckiest thing in the world. I've got, I've got paid for it. I've got paid for it. Mm, nice. I just I, maybe it's my me being naive. I didn't realise that. I know that obviously Welsh did have a language, and back in the day it was a massive thing. But for you to come to England at sixteen and whatever it was, and, and not speak a word, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, it was either that or going it's to college. Not, it's not crazy. But I just, it, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity. Um, yeah. It was a dream. You know, if you don't dream, you don't believe. And I dreamed that would be because I was different in scoring goals, and no one would train harder than me. Um, and at 16, I got my opportunity. I went down to Watford, scored three goals in the trial. And they said, yeah, because it wasn't YTS or, you know, academy status. It was a, it was apprenticeship. So the club had to pay. Um, they only took two players on that season at Watford. And I was one of them. And, you know, Graham Taylor 
said, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And by the time I was 18, I was playing the first team. Then I played internationally very quickly. And then I went missing for a year or so. Um, just didn't play well or thought I was beginning or whatever. And then um, I moved to Norwich and kick-started again my, uh, my career. And then Millwall, then Newcastle. So now it's all gone very, very well. I'm 53 now. Can't run around anymore. But um, I still talk a good game. If you um, could pick, I know you had some great memories at Millwall, but if you could pick one standout memory from your time at the club, what would it be? Uh, standout memory at Millwall. There's so many of them, to be fair. Uh, and they're all parallel to each other. Well, you can give us a few if you like. That's, that suits me. <laughs> uh, I know. I know it was you, yeah. Uh, I think there was a, a, a... I can't remember his surname. He was a left winger. He was an old Ken Road boy. Millwall man. Uh, Tony... Dolby. Dolby. Right? Now, I knew him when he was 15, 16, when I was, I'd, I first joined the club. And we played against a team at the old, the old end, the Cobo Lane. And I remember we won 6-1 and I scored two. I can't remember who it was against. Was it not County? Was it was not County? I remember it. Well, I got my first was, ever pair of the, um, Puma Kings that day. Oh, is that right? For the game well, following down on a Sunday as a kid, yeah, and I, yeah, I was standing behind the cold blow lane, my brother that day. I think usually stand cold blow, I used to stand halfway line, but for that, okay. day, I was behind the goal and we won 6 1. Yeah. yeah. Well, in that game, right, I think it was the fifth or the sixth goal, Dobbs had come on uh, the pitch, or maybe, I don't, I don't think he started. Anyway, I brought this ball down on my shoulder in the box. Now, how much that football club meant to Tony Dolby was you couldn't, you could not put in words because emotionally, it was everything. He was brought up Millwall, right? So, I turned, I looked at his run, I passed into his path, and he scored a goal. And I saw him release all that energy, all that emotion, all them dreams that he's fulfilled in that one second of a local kid who had Millwall running through his veins. That's the highest one because I thought I felt and I still do for Millwall like a lot of other players but Tony was a local kid and I made that first goal for him and he scored that goal I don't think he scored after that to be truthful I might be wrong but I'm nearly certain he didn't but to you making that goal for that local kid that would be one of my highlights I've got to say mm-hmm. I had plenty in scoring goals yeah you know, scoring against Watford, against my old club. Be, he, he, going there the following season, first game of the season against sent off after 13 minutes. You know, that was maybe the lowest point. But no, the highest one was seeing the just happiness on Tony's face because what it meant to him to score that goal. And for me to put it on a plate for him. And I put a knife on fork for him and all, if he's ever going to listen to this. It was so easy. He's only three yards out and hardly missed so you're in the napkin lot. Yeah, you're not wrong, mate. You're you, not wrong. Um, you obviously had a very good drinking culture at the club and you spoke about great nights out. If you could take for a night out tomorrow, three of your ex teammates at Mill with you for one one last hurrah, who would they be? Uh, easy. Easy. Pikey, Andy Roberts, Alex Ray, and John McGinley. Yeah. It's easy. 
easy three. I know Alan McCleary and Rhino maybe taught me the ropes a little bit, but you know what? They were apprentices by then. By yeah. the end, mate, they, they were just apprentices. So John McGinley, Alex Ray, and Andy Roberts. I don't think they'd fancy it, but um, <laughs> and Andy Roberts would be the winkling, by the way. In that, is he, is he flopping uh, early? Yeah, yeah. And John McGinn would fly the flag till till next week. What was he like, McGinley? Good, good, good crack. What yeah? a top, top bloke, mate. Ah, oh, hilarious. He had five boys, right, who looks exactly like him. Round the, the, that little lounge in the old den, yeah. he, he had only four then, and then he had another one a few months after. And they're all little blonde things, and they all look like him. Unbelievable. What a bloke. What a man. Well, listen, mate, I'm, I'm all done on my notes. If there's anything else you want to share with us? Uh, no, if no, no, just thank, thanks everyone, mate. Just thank everyone for uh, my time at Millwall. Uh, hopefully, um, they got something back from me. Uh, I'll never forget Millwall fans. I'll never forget Millwall Football Club. And I just hope maybe, what's his name now? Gary Rowett. He does well now in the, in the last 10 games or so. Gets him in that playoff. And if they get in the playoff, I'll come to Wembley. Well, you might be the only one who gets in, mate, with the coronavirus. <laughs> well, uh, don't worry. I'll commentate on the game from somewhere, mate. Don't worry about that. I can um, speak a bit of uh, Millwall as well, remember. Speak a bit of well, Millwall, but you speak a bit of Welsh. So could you tell us what um, no one likes us, we don't care is in Welsh? Um, don't we just sing it to you? I'd love, I'd uh, love for you to sing it to us. Okay, okay. Hold on, hold on. Or let them come. Uh, if you can sing, let them come. That'd be fantastic to sing us out. Uh, okay. Danny Dodd, Danny Dodd, Danny Dodd, Danny Dodd, he lauriated. Danny Dodd, Danny Dodd, Danny Dodd, Danny Dodd, he lauriated. Okay, um, the other one's better. Which one's that one I sang? Uh, I'm trying to translate it in my head. What are you trying to translate? Um, let oh, me... hold on. Here I got it. Here I got it. We are Millwall. We are Millwall. Super Millwall. From the den, we are Millwall, super Millwall. We are Millwall from the den. Never lick your knee, so never lick your knee. Poison piney, Danny McGonwad, Danny and Millwall, super Millwall. We are Millwall from the den. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Mate, absolute legend. Thanks for your time, and I'm glad I tracked you Shut down mate. eventually. Fucking hilarious. Say hello to everyone for me. Top Thanks, man, mate. Top man. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Top man. Top Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 